0: Well, good morning, Grace. Thank you for joining us. It's a good day to be here. Hey, we're having um, kind of a, wow, a crazy summer. We're having a summer of generosity. Did you know that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about giving, and only about 40 of them actually have to do with the subject of tithing? In other words, 98% of the instruction on giving is not about tithing, but rather on just being grateful and uh, being healthy and just being generous. Being like God is generous. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, you got to choose. You got to choose. You can't serve both God and money. I mean, he could have picked a lot of other villains, but he picks money because it has like a gravitational pull on our souls. And so, This summer, we're having a summer of generosity, not just because the Bible says to do that and not just because we're trying to prove to our souls that Bunny doesn't have power over us, but because we're in a very special time. We're in, I mentioned last week, a thing called a Kairos moment, where it's an opportunity for a decisive moment. We just feel like this is a time for us to be giving in very big ways in our city and around the world. So we're having what's called a summer of giving this summer. And that, what that means is every gift given to the church, just give to the general fund, everything above our already budgeted amount is going to be given away. We have a team of people looking for strategic opportunities to do that. Last year, I think the, our fiscal year just ended up, and we gave away more above budget than we ever have in the history of our church, almost $250,000. Now, wait... We're we literally are just getting started. We're six weeks into this, and we're almost at the same level where we just finished a whole year of giving. So, boom, bring it on. So, could you consider participating in our summer of giving? Just give to the general fund, and everything above and beyond, is gonna, it's going to great places to serve the world. Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, I want to tell you about kind of a new series that we're getting started. Uh, I'm, did I say, I might have said Matthew, I meant Luke Luke chapter 5. I'll start our teaching time together. Here's with a story. Once upon a time. Once upon a time, a magic block of wood was carved into a puppet. And the puppet could dance. Its strings could cause it to dance. And then, (laughs) it could dance without its strings. Because it was magic wood after all. Well, that wasn't enough. Geppetto and Pinocchio both had bigger dreams, that someday, someway, maybe, that little wooden puppet would be miraculously changed into something real, alive, flesh, a real boy. The story of Pinocchio, I love it. The original story, not the other ones that every, all these other people have come up with, they're way too nice, a little too civilized. The real book, Pinocchio, was required reading by new teenagers in the Cassidy household. They all had to read it. I would highly recommend reading Pinocchio, no matter what your age, but certainly, if you have young teenagers, have them read that book, because Pinocchio, if nothing, he was naive, and naive is expensive. It's going to ask from you more than you can afford, the other reason Pinocchio is good is it, he runs into just about every kind of temptation and experience that most teens will, and adults. Read Pinocchio. It'll be good for you. The other reason I bring up Pinocchio today is Pinocchio is a great metaphor for what it means to be absolutely surrendered and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. He, he changes us, like essentially. Our essence is altered. It, 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 The Spirit's ambition for us, actually the Father's ambition for us, is by the power of the Spirit that we would become like Christ in all of life. And when you look at it that way, it's like to become a real boy, a real girl. If you look ahead five years from now and look at your life and what it might be, think about where you are now, what would need to change if you are so angry or self-centered or petty Or afraid what would have what would be the wood that would have to be cut off and cut away for you to become flesh to become like Christ because change you can't be passive about change you can't you can't say well that's just the way I am or if I were in a different set of circumstances then I'd be a different kind of person because the change real change in the Bible is about the Spirit of God in any situation in any human soul invades them as long as their heart is humble and able to receive. The best Pinocchio story in the Bible, I think, is the story of Peter. He's a New Testament character, he's in all four Gospels and it seems like everyone can relate to Peter. Male and female, uh, old and young, educated and not so much. Uh, The timid, the brave, and and I think think we like Peter and so many people can relate to him because we usually say something like, look at the way this man messes things up. I can relate to that. (laughs) When strangers meet Peter, look what they say about him in Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary, that's me. Astonishing, that's Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus and Jesus, that's where the magic happens. The story of Peter is God's grace on top of the decisions that Peter chooses to make. So I'd like us to spend four weeks quick little fun summer series in a biographical look in the life of Peter. We're going to look at him to see his choices and maybe the motives and his points of choice, why he made these choices, that we might learn how to change. We might learn to become what God wants us to do. Simon is a, a full character. As a matter of fact, he's the only full character that's in all four Gospels, fully formed. He's mentioned over 200 times. Now, in contrast, That's to like John is mentioned about 31 times in the Gospels. So there's purpose in this. Peter is the leader of the 12. It'll often say Peter and those other men. His name is always first in a list whenever he's mentioned. He's the first one to be called by Jesus by name. He's the first person in, in the Gospels that will admit that they are a sinner. We're gonna see that today in today's story. There is no one that is more severely rebuked than Peter. There are seven miracles that are performed for Peter to learn. Peter, watch this and (laughs) learn. In other words, besides Jesus himself, Peter is the co-star. He is a central character in all four Gospels. Let's learn from him. Let's learn not just to learn about Peter. We're trying to learn about ourselves so that we can learn about Jesus and how to become like Christ in all of life. All right. Here's what you need to know about Peter. Peter's a fisherman. And I mean, he is a fisherman. He doesn't fish. It's his, like, he and his brother Andrew are in a partnership, and that partnership is with another boat with James and John. They're brothers as well, but they grew up fishing. And fishing is like their identity. It's like a surfer, you know, or it's, if you know a surfer, like dude, you know, it's about the waves and everything else is about paying bills so they can get to the waves, dude. And that's the nature of living on the water in a lot of ways. It's not easy. It's the smell of the sea is there's easier ways to make a living, but there's something about it. Every day's a gamble. Instead of rolling the dice, you, you, you put out the nets and you see what happens. That's the kind of man he is. And when we look at this story, we're going to see how Jesus Christ comes after Peter, the fisherman. Here's how the first story ends. Let me see if I say that right. This is the ending of the first story of Peter. If you'll just envision this, if you would, you're flying up from the south. You look at the Sea of Galilee. This is a beautiful lake, okay? It's, a, it's not a sea, it's a lake. It's surrounded by a mountain range. And there at the top northern part of the Sea of Galilee, that's where Peter lives. And on a beach right there, we can see two, like they look shipwrecked, but waterlogged boats, and they're surrounded by a crowd of people, and the crowd of people are kind of in a fury, and they're, and they're looking for baskets and they're for, to, to pick up, the, because it's <laughs> these two boats, they are just awash in fish, and people are getting baskets and grabbing the fish and taking them off. Other women are pulling up their skirts and filling them up as much as they can with the fish. It's not looting. I mean, no one's stealing anything. There are too many fish, and if someone doesn't take them home, they're just going to die and rot. But the strangest part of this scene, when you come upon it, is the four men, the owners of the two boats, are gone. They left everything. They're not even to be seen in this. This is the biggest catch in the history of this town. The greatest fishing story ever, right? You know, fishermen, and they're not even there. I mean, it'd be like, if you could imagine a gold miner, it just leaves his pickaxe right in the middle of a two-foot gold vein. That's what, what's, it's, it's a very strange thing that's going on here. I'll tell you how it ends. This is the this is, this is lesson. <laughs> Peter and his friends left everything they ever had dreamt of everything they ever wanted because now it wasn't enough they want to follow jesus whatever you want it's not enough not compared to following jesus that's what this story is about let's take it from the top chapter 5 verse 1. one day as jesus was standing by the sea of galilee with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of god he saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, and the one that belonged to Simon or Peter. And he asked him to let him out a little away from the shore. And then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this is just another day in the life of Peter. This is not the first time he's seen Jesus or seen him teach. And so he's just going to do what he does a lot of times, and that is sit down and fix his net and let Jesus use his boat for a pulpit. I mean, he's just trying to get something done while listening to the sermon. You know, right? Like right now, people right now at our home, they're cleaning their house while they're listening to the sermon. Just one of those things. I I can relate. Uh, and you think, what did Jesus preach on to change Peter's life? It doesn't matter. What do you mean? It doesn't matter. He's the best. Preacher of all times, it's like it's not even mentioned in the passage. That's not what this story is about. And besides, this isn't the first. This isn't the first like sermon Peter has heard from Jesus. I mean, the carpenter turned pastor. He he met his brother Andrew maybe months before when Andrew was following John the Baptist. And so he'd worked his way to this region and he'd heard him preach. And so it's just like another day where he's going to listen to a good sermon and he's going to. Fix up his nets. But this particular morning, Andrew and Peter and James and John, they were clenching their teeth. Bad night in the lake. They had nothing to show for it. All night, not a single fish. Don't ask them, this is how fishermen are. Don't ask them, how'd it go? What'd you catch? Here's how fishermen work. If it was a great catch, they're going to tell you. They love to crow about the big catches, and failure, they're not so good at. They don't, they're not very good losers. So, they had a plan. We're gonna clean the nets, we're gonna listen to the end of the sermon, and then we're gonna go get a nap. That's the plan. Work the plan. And then, when, Jesus had, when he had finished, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets go for a big catch. And Simon said, uh, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. When Jesus asked to borrow Peter's boat for a pulpit, right? Not a word from Peter. When Jesus tells Peter what to do with his boat for fishing, like stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, preacher man. So there's this pause, a little bit of pushback, and then he does this. But... Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And that's when it happened. I bet people from the shore could see it happen out there in the Sea of Galilee. I bet it looked like the water was boiling. Because then the fish just started coming in the nets. I bet it startled some, probably frightened others. People were scared. Here's what, what took, took place, verses 6 and 7. And when they had done so... They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And here's how Peter responds. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken and so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Why did Peter fall down? It was too much. It was, it was over his capacity. Blaise Pascal wrote this about just the nature of, of man's soul. He says, Our senses perceive no extremes. Too much sound deafens us, too much light dazzles us, too much truth paralyzes us, too much Pleasure disagrees with us. Too much grace irritates us. Too much grace irritates us. We wish we had the wherewithal to overpay our debts. He had a dream. What would have happened if you had a dream like if you had a dream and the dream came true and then it just kept coming true? Your soul doesn't know what to do. With that it's humiliated. It can become agitated by it. This whole story, it's in kind of the nature of the storytelling here, is Peter in contrast to almost everything else that's going on. I mean, the crowds, they come to Jesus. Jesus actually comes to Peter. He, he didn't go to Jesus. Jesus came to him. The crowds are pushing their way to get towards Jesus. Peter here saying, Jesus, you get away from me. The, 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 the begging and bartering going along. Peter didn't beg for what he wanted. He wanted a bunch of fish. Now he's begging for the thing he doesn't want. Please get away from me. Leave me, Jesus. Peter's soul could manage failure. He was like okay with no fish and empty nets. But then when success, success came, he was undone. Okay. Okay. When complete success came, it was the thread that pulled and he didn't know how to contain himself. Nothing, nothing can can prepare the human soul for Yahweh's frightening generosity. Nothing can prepare the human soul for Yahweh's frightening grace. And so Jesus is communicating to Peter in Peter's miracle language fish. You want to speak to the Magi? Give him a miraculous star. You want to speak to a fisherman? Let him wait and dream and hope and think about, even pray about a big catch and then give him something more than ever he could ask or imagine. <laughs> Peter realizes that Jesus is not just a carpenter turned preacher. He's good, but he's better than that. And he's not just like an Elijah that we've been waiting for. At this point, he realizes he's dealing with the holiness of God. And that's why he says in verse 8, And Simon saw this and he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus says to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled up the boats on shore and left everything and followed him. Look at the exchange here. Peter says, I'm a sinful man. Get away from me. Leave. (laughs) Just leave so I can live. Send me into the pigs, right? I can't be in your presence. I know what's happening here. I know who you are now. Please leave. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, sinner. He doesn't take that away from Peter. Don't be afraid, sinner. Father's not sent me into the world to condemn the world. He sent me into the world to save sinners and make puppets into real boys and real girls. I've come to do the extraordinary. I've, turned, I've come to make you real. Do not be afraid. That's what happens whenever Jesus reveals himself to mortals. We don't know what to do. If there's just a slight crack in the drapes and we see through a little bit of what Jesus is really like, what God is really like, the first things we're going to hear from God in His mercy are, don't be afraid. In Peter's life, it happens to him. Jesus is doing this to him on more than a few occasions. Uh, Jesus calms the sea and He says to Peter and the others, don't be afraid. Later on, Jesus is going to walk on water, and those men will be rattled for who Jesus really is, and he'll say, Don't be afraid. Peter, James, and John are going to see the transfigured Jesus Christ, what he may look like in the next life. And he says to them, Don't be afraid. When Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he meets Peter and he says, Don't be afraid. When the veil is lifted even slightly, terror ensues. It is the nature of the holiness of God for us to be very afraid. Don't be afraid, fear me, says Yahweh. I mean, there's an application in that alone, right? Is your relationship with God in such a way? When you, time, when you spend time in the Bible reading what He says in your experience living for Him Has he revealed himself at a depth where you got to see enough to be afraid, terrorized, where you feel the Spirit of God say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I'm a sinner, get out. Don't be afraid. It's the part of the life of every saint, and it's not a one-time event, it's as we grow, we see more of ourselves and we see more of who Jesus is and we are become newly afraid again, which is also kind of a consequence here. This is, this is a story of the life of Peter. He's got a three-year three journey ahead. Is it safe to follow Jesus? Who said anything about safe? <laughs> right? Come and see and you'll be afraid and in that fear, fear you'll know more about who Christ is and the power of his spirit in your life and then you'll break through that fear barrier and when you do you'll be introduced to a greater fear that you wouldn't even face before and then you'll be able to break through and you're growing in Christ into another fear the nature of the Christian life is the nature of being a disciple of Christ in this three-year journey Peter it's going to be fear and overcoming fear to a new fear to overcoming fear. That's what it is. (laughs) There's like the transition from being a puppet to a real boy and a real girl, yeah, that's scary. And only Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit living in us, that's the only way it happens. What I'd like to do now is look at, there's three attributes that Peter has that we need to have, three things uh, that we need to practice regularly. Every Like every day, we need to do this and make sure we check these to make sure our souls are well. This is how the Spirit of God lives alive, how He speaks clearly, how He encourages us, these three attributes. The first one is, that I noticed anyway, is Peter's humble willingness to cast out the nets. Peter's humble willingness to cast out the nets. Verse 5, I'll read it again. He says, We've worked hard all night and have caught and haven't caught anything. Right there, at the end of that sentence, before the next one, that place—that's where eternity stops dead. That—that's—that's that's the like the the infinite power of the present. Right there, infinite power of the present. It's not about the past, the future we can't do. Anything about either. It's the present. This is the moment where the fate of Peter is paused. Because in this moment, it's a simple question. There's a simple answer. Jesus says, cast the nets out a little deeper out there, and Peter can say, you know what? No. Maybe he'll be polite. Uh, Lord, uh, I'm really tired. Jesus, you know what? I'd love to. That lake, it's fished out. That's it. That's all. And then Peter becomes just another forgotten piece of dust in the wind. But he doesn't. He says, but because you say so, I will let the nets down. But because you say so, that, that, like, a tiny expression of obedience, that little bitty act of submission. I'm sorry, there is no such thing as a tiny act of submission. There is no such thing as small obedience because it ripples into eternity and into the human soul. This is is like the definition of obedience. This is what obedience is is he's doing it solely and entirely because the Lord said so. That's it. I mean, let's, Peter is a fisherman. (laughs) Like, he grew up fishing with with his father. This is his career. This is his profession. Going back out, casting deeper, goes against all of his experience, his most recent experience, by the way, all of his common sense, his custom, his culture, Everything. So he goes against that. Like it's by the way, it's not obedience if you have to understand it to obey. That's not obedience. Uh, to have a biblical value, it's, it's not like the, the biblical value owns you if, if if you'd like to hold it anyway, and it's easy to hold. <laughs> obedience is it's not doing something because you do it anyway. That's not, what this, that's not what obedience is. This is humble obedience. <laughs> it's like, he, he doesn't understand. And if you wait to understand before you obey, you're never going to have a boat filled with fish. That's how you get a boat overflowing with fish, is doing what God says, because God says so. He is, we call, him, we, we call Jesus the Lord. Why? Because he is the Lord over us. And he tells us what is right and real and true. And we just, okay. We say he's a king because kings rule. He, the king rules my soul. Why does he do it? Because God said so. That's it. Because God said so. Let's practice saying that. Why do it? Everybody, because God says so. Boom. That's what obedience is. Now listen, if, if, you know, if you're regularly submitted to him and you're humble, you can sometimes hear a still small voice or an impression. That's not like the same thing, but it's, it's a great place to start. Just do it, don't argue, just do it. Just obey, because little obedience, there's no little obedience, they're eternal. It's a daily decision. This isn't the only time Peter had to do this. The second, besides his humble submission here, is Peter's courageous self-awareness. He says, I'm a sinner. <laughs> and that's true. There's no debate even by Jesus. And God can use Peter because Peter understands that God doesn't need him. God can use Peter because Peter understands God doesn't need to use him. And when there, some people wake up in the morning and it's like, God, do you know who I am? And you're lucky to have me. And I've done this. And that's not... That's not what Peter has. Peter understands what he brings to the relationship with Jesus Christ is sin. And Yahweh God brings everything else. So it's his definition of obedience that we should look, look at. It's his humble understanding of his sinfulness. And then the last part is Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. Peter the fisherman is no more. There's no Peter the fisherman. And by that, I mean, that was Peter's identity. Identity is like how you define yourself. And what Jesus does is when you let him define you and not be defined by your generational career and how your you know, value and people other people value, God says, I can take that. And if you leave that right over here, I'll give you something more. Chesterton says, G.K. Chester says, Jesus Christ saves us from the, de- ra- the degrading necessity of being a child of our time like everyone else. We don't have to be a product of whatever time it is. We can be something original, something different. When Jesus redefines us, when he re-identifies us, we go from temporal to eternal. We go from wood to, to spirit. We're like, we're not, you don't, you don't have to be a doctor or a mother or a, A mechanic. You are a prince and a princess that happens to practice medicine or work on cars. This whole identity change. Peter is a fisherman, a son of a fisherman, always have been a fisherman, and now with the catch of his life, the story of all stories where fishermen will be telling for generations, he says, fish, all those fish, what fish? Because they were just fish. That's they just be, they were just fish. So he loses his identity. He, he's, he they leave everything, but they leave their lives. And the second thing they define what it means to be all in. They leave everything. They don't hold their hedge their bet. They they, they said so they left their boats and their nets, and and that's what it means. It means sometimes, some, most of the time, you, let's just say all the time, you can't have it both ways. You, got, you can have salvation and lordship, and this can be tagging along, but you, you can't hedge your bet and hold on to both. Like Peter couldn't like, okay, I'll follow you, but I'm, I'm going to hold on to these nets. I'll just carry them around with me. I got this. It won't be hard. Okay. We're doing on sermon on the mountain next week. On the top of the mountain? These things are getting really heavy here. And like, leave them behind, Peter. Yeah, the, the nature following is leaving it all behind. When you're following Jesus Christ, you're supposed to look a little bit crazy. You're supposed to look like you burned the bridges behind you, like there's no going back. I mean, what do you call, what do you call a fisherman, it's like a punchline, what do you call a fisherman that doesn't have a boat or any nets? a disciple of Jesus Christ. And even if he stayed and was still fishing, he wouldn't own them. They wouldn't own him. That'd be just a thing he did. So here's how to look at this. Are you still defining yourself by the way you were, whether it was good or bad, whether it was successful or a failure? Because Jesus is asking you to leave that identity. Are you you hedging your bet? Are you going almost all in, which is not all in? Are Are you withholding something from God? I'll bet if you are, it's because you don't trust him. You don't think he's good. Let him crack that curtain. Let him show you under the veil the terror of his generosity here's what peter sees that we 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 have we need to know this and learn this is following christ it doesn't as americans you know we invented uh, pragmatism it doesn't work any other way it can't work you have this is what obedience and sinful, knowledge of our sinfulness and going all in looks like, the reason it's successful is because it's the only way it can work. We, we, <laughs> Jesus is the only one, Yahweh God, he defines what is right. He defines what is right. Not, like, not the media, not our friends. He decides what is real, not the government. He decides what is true Not popularity. He's the king. So he rules us. He's not an advisor. He's the Lord. He's not our consultant. (laughs) Jesus doesn't play second chair. He doesn't play second fiddle because he can't even read the notes. He doesn't even know how. He leads, or you get left. Those are the choices. He leads, or you get left. Peter knew that. And Peter left everything. He left nothing. He followed Christ. Here's what we learned from this story. God loves to work with sinners. And we haven't even begun to see <laughs> the sinner in Peter. But he loves to work with sinners who decide every day what it means to obey, what it means to know yourself to be a sinner, and what it means to go all in. And with that, he can make a toy into a saint. Let him have a shot, maybe in a new way starting today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, this moment, this time, I'd ask that this story would speak to us. Peter's so relatable, let's let this relate to us. Maybe the way he responds or the way we don't respond like him. But Lord, let this be our example of obedience, Sometimes we just want to hold on to popularity. That's our net. And you say you can't choose both. Follow popularity or follow Jesus. Lord, I'd ask that you would call out to us, anyone, anything that we're trying to hold on to, to hedge our bet, any expression of pride that keeps us from saying that we're sinful and sinners, and anything that keeps us from becoming all that you have wanted us to be real life, in your glory, so that we might become all that you desire us to be, that we might experience your holiness, even the terror of your holiness, so that we might bring joy to you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we might hear your voice say, don't be afraid, I'll see you soon. Lord, I'd ask that you would cause us to be courageously pursuing you at whatever cost. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.